Hello, and welcome to the Tech Startup Show. In this episode, I speak to Rushan Patel, data scientist and founding engineer at ProGrad. He has a huge diversity of experience in research, working at Red Bull doing vehicle modeling and simulation, and leading the enterprise data science team at MNS. We talk about vehicle modeling and simulation in F1, data science in the supermarket industry, and transitioning from building a business part-time to going full-time. So let's get right into it. Hello, Rushan. Would you mind by just starting by telling us a bit about yourself? Yeah, of course. So Charles, firstly, thanks a lot for inviting me on the podcast. Um, I'm uh, Rushan Patel. Um, I'm a data scientist. Uh, I head up data science at uh, ProGrad currently. Um, I wasn't always a data scientist, so I started my career in engineering, um, did my first degree in engineering, uh, did a PhD also um, in control theory, um, and actually worked in engineering for uh, quite a few years um, before making the switch to data science uh, a few years back. Um, since I've worked in data science, I've worked both at small and large companies. Uh, and currently, like I mentioned, I, I work at a startup um, that was founded probably about a couple of years ago now um, called ProGrad. Yeah, I mean, I'd love to hear a bit more about ProGrad and what your role is there. Yeah, sure. So um, ProGrad is um, essentially on a mission to help young people. Uh, navigate the world of personal finance. Um, And so the the concept really started when the two founders, Marco and Ethan, they were both studying um, or coming to the UK to to start masters. What they found was that um, if you included living costs and the cost of the degrees, the kind of bank of mum and dad didn't stretch uh, far enough um, and they wanted some other options for either earning money or, or borrowing money. Um, And they found it really difficult um, for a couple of reasons. One, um, if you're young, you tend not to have been exposed to uh, financial jargon um, around the credit space or loan space, things like APR, credit scores. um, uh, And so um, just navigating that is is tricky. And then um, secondly, there's not actually that many products on the market. for young people. And, and what tends to happen is you have to take loans if you're gonna take a loan um, from sort of high APR, high interest rate lenders. Um, so they started looking at this space um, and, and um, thinking about what could be done um, to, to help sort of solve that problem for young people. And I, I'll sort of tell you the middle bit of the story um, uh, in a bit, but um, wh- where we've ended up actually is building a kind of uh, holistic and, and personalized platform for young people to be able to go in, um, tell us uh, what their their problem is or what they're trying to achieve, you know, what they're raising money for, and be guided by by the platform um, for ways they can either earn or borrow um, uh, or save money and so we have something like 40 plus partners now um, who have different products in those different spaces and and we help connect young people then with with those different products uh alongside that we've actually started a community um 
uh, which um, essentially is a space for people to come to to um, sort of ask questions if they're unsure about things. Again, to, to going back to the jargon point, you know, um, if you don't understand how different types of products work, you can go in there and ask questions and you can get help from other people that have been through the same thing. Um, and these typically it's things like you want to get a rental deposit because you're moving out of home. You know, you need a, uh, a deposit for a car. Uh, maybe you're getting married. Um, so all the, all the, or, or um, you're trying to find fund your education. Um, so those those are the kind of problems we're looking to solve uh, for young people. Mm -hmm. And how did you become the founding engineer and get involved with ProGrad in the first place? Yeah, so I'm, I met Marco and Ethan actually before the company sort of took any funding. So pre-seed, if you like. Um, uh, and they, uh, through a mutual contact, really, I was put in touch with them. They were looking at that time for a data scientist, um, essentially to help them build models that could... Um, predict effectively what people might earn after they've either graduated from university or if they're already in work um, uh, what they might earn in the future um, so it was looking at how do we how do we track people's earnings and and give um, lenders a view of how much people will earn um, and that's important because when a lender gives a loan typically they're looking at a couple of things they're looking at um, whether someone's willing to repay, so they, yeah, a willingness to repay. And then the second thing is affordability. So how much, how much can I lend someone? And if you're a student, of course, you have no income. So uh, uh, sort of computer says no in most banking systems at that point, credit scores. Um, but if you have uh, a sort of prediction of what you might earn in a year or a couple of years time, um, that can then help them to, to uh, provide a loan. Um, so I met I met the guys and we we built a kind of proof of concept and um, we, we started our journey there and the the idea really grew um, from that into this more holistic platform that's not just about lending but it's also about um, saving and and you know new ways of earning as well um, so yeah that's that's how I got involved I um, so so Prograd went through the TechStars accelerator uh, last year. Um, in the summer. Um, up until then, we'd probably been working for about a year, um, just bootstrapping. Um, so we were all doing full-time job, jobs uh, and, and sort of working on ProGrad um, in our spare time. Um, and uh, post getting into Techstars then, um, slowly we sort of all came on board uh, full-time um, and we've sort of, sort of grown it to, to where it is today. Um, and what does your current role as head of data science at ProGrad involve? So I do um, quite a few things, actually, which are not data science related. Um, we're a small team, uh, probably four or five people full time. And as is typical in a, in a startup, um, you get quite a broad range of responsibilities. Uh, so I, I help with the technical guidance, if you like, on, um, on the actual web application that we're building. Um, also with recruitment of, of the development team. And then, yeah, of course, the, the data science side as well. So in the data science side, we probably have two kind of um, uh, two core things that we work on. One is around those models that I, I spoke about. So that's trying to help lenders assess 
um, young people. And, and as I mentioned, we look at, we build models for a couple of things. One's affordability uh, by predicting incomes. And the other is around credit worthiness. Um, and typically uh, young people haven't taken loans before, so they don't have much um, data. Um, and so we use open banking. Uh, which is effectively people's transactions and, and spending habits to try and assess that. The second um, part of, of uh, core part of my role is around data infrastructure and um, understanding how users are, um, uh, sorry, how customers are using the website. Um, so uh, as a startup, we have to iterate really fast and, and um, Sort of listen to the verbal feedback we get from uh, our users but also understand what they're actually doing um, on the site which means we collect quite a lot of um kind of clickstream data so we can see how uh, users are navigating the site um, where they might be dropping out of the funnel uh, where there might be issues in the usability of, of, of the application uh, so we track um, that kind of thing and, and we use those sort of two levers combined, how people are using the site and their direct feedback to understand how to iterate the product. Uh, but in order to do that, we, we have to set up quite a lot of um, uh, infrastructure. So these are things like databases, data warehouses, uh, data pipelines to collect that data um, uh, and tools to allow you know, analysis of that data as well. And looking back at some of your past experiences, I see you you worked at um, Red Bull Racing. Um, how was it working for an F1 team? Um, so F1, yeah, is is uh, a super exciting place to work, as you can imagine. Um, it's quite quite a unique industry, actually, because it's you, you know the the whole purpose of an F1 team is to every year is to put two race cars out on a track right and those race cars you want to be as um fast as possible and the whole sort of game of f1 is to take the budget that you have and optimize it to the nth degree to to enable that to happen right and you you're obviously in this competition and you see the results of that you know every weekend or every other weekend um so it's really quite a motivating uh, uh domain to work in um and there's some I think that what's different about F1 compared to um, some of the other roles you might have in industry is the, the sort of total focus on um, on, on sort of te technical uh, quality, if you like. So um, you to the, the way you optimize is, you know, the way you build the best race car is to have the best aero, to have the best kind of um, uh, vehicle science capabilities, um, to have the best drivers, of course. So um and and to get to that you you know we we really focus essentially on on building out um those different uh capabilities um so it's in some sense it's more academic than than other jobs um that you might have where you're trading off um you know commercial factors etc um having said that you're always operating in a budget into timeline so there's still <laughs> there's still um that to deal with but uh but yeah it's it's very exciting and what did your role in vehicle modeling and simulation at Red Bull Racing involve? So the vehicle modeling and simulation team um, build uh, computational models of the race car. Uh, so you might know, uh, if you follow F1, that 
track testing is is limited um, for a couple of reasons. Well, mostly because it actually is very expensive. <laughs> um, uh, so if, if track testing is limited, it means you have to do as much as possible um, back in the factory uh, in terms of building and optimizing the car. Um, and so race teams do this in various ways. Uh, almost, I think all race teams um, have simulators. Um, so they run these sort of six degree of freedom um, uh, race car simulators, which drivers can come in and drive. And the, the, those simulators are running um, quite high fidelity models of the actual race car. Um, so they're used also for, for optimizing different parameters or testing out different types of, let's say, geometry for suspension systems, etc. Um, but even before you get into the, the simulator, um, you might want to do kind of offline um, uh, simulation. So, um, and that's really what the, the modeling and simulation team, and in particular, the, the tools I was working on, um, what we were doing, we were building um, these a lap, laptop, what we call lap sim tools um, that uh, take a high fidelity model of the car and simulate simulate it running around a track um, with, and when you simulate a car going around a track, you have to do it with um, a kind of human uh, driver baked in, you know, you can't have like the perfect driver or anything like that. Um, and we, uh, what that allows you to do is, is, find um, potentially the optimum parameters for a particular racetrack. And when I say parameters, I mean things like flap angles, tire pressures, et cetera. So the, the kind of levers that um, uh, the race team can, can pull on to, uh, to tweak the car. Um, and we build those tools and we give them to performance engineers who actually run them. Um, and, and what they'll typically do is, is try and um, optimize uh the setup of the car before as much as possible before the race and and those the kind of the whole goal of the the, the modeling team is to, is to give them the best tools to do that mm. so the modeling team build the tools and then the performance engineers run the run the tools yeah absolutely yeah yeah so we're kind of like um setting up the so we're doing the kind of hardcore programming if you like in the background um, and then, uh, yeah, performance engineers essentially are, are running different experiments with those tools um, to try and optimize car. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure a lot of it is highly confidential, but um, what programming language, I guess, and what tools did you use? Yeah, so different teams use uh, different tools. Um, uh, I think MATLAB is used quite, quite extensively. Um, uh, we for um, modeling physical systems, there's a, a few options out there. Um, we used uh, Dimmler, which is uh, actually based on an open source tool called Modelica, um, which is kind of a, a programming language uh, that's a higher level abstraction of C, effectively. So under the hood, it's C, um, but it's a programming language that allows you specifically for kind of uh, physical or electronic systems to to uh, model um, to model those, um, and then uh, Python is used uh, quite extensively as well um, uh, in the industry. Uh, and what you find so that's on on the vehicle science side, um, and then the the sort of aeronautic side is a whole other kettle of fish. Uh, so they need really optimized code. So you know you you probably talking about C plus plus and, and things like that. 
Mm-hmm. And did you have a specific um, sub model, I guess, that you were working on, um, like a certain aspect of of the aerodynamics or something? Um, so I was I was actually working on the, this kind of holistic optimization. So what we would do, or what what the tool I was working on would do, would take in the aero map, what we call the aero map, so effectively the aero models. It would take in the actual overall model of the car, which includes as submodels, um, you know, all the components, so the tires, the suspension system, um, uh, yeah, the, the engine, um, and and the driver actually, um, and then we so we would have this um, uh, model, and we would be trying to to effectively say what what are the inputs we can put in in terms of how a driver drives it, you know, steering wheel, accelerator, etc. That would um run a kind of optimal lap that a human could could drive and that then gives us a kind of that that's almost like a driver getting in the simulator and drive you know driving that that lap and so but we don't need a driver we can say okay we've we've got this kind of simulation that that does that for us and now now we've got that now can we sort of have a methodology that then tweaks the parameters that improves the lap time um for that sort of ghost driver if you like so um that that was uh, the sort of tool i was working on what inspired you to leave red bull racing um and join uh vivacity labs um so so red bull was actually probably the last kind of um core engineering role i did and and during that time my time there i sort of had started learning about data science um and and getting more and more interested actually in, in data science methods. Um, and that's actually why in the end I decided to, to join Vivasti. Um, and so Vivasti was working on reinforcement learning systems applied to traffic control, um, which is actually very, very similar to the kind of problems I worked on during my PhD around controlling uh, complex systems but taking a kind of a different angle at it, um, this methodology called reinforcement learning. Um, I, I wanted to um, really expand my career, I think, in, in that direction, which is why in the end, I, I chose to sort of move into a data science role like that. And then after Vivacity, I see you, you led the data science team at m and um, What was that like? That was um, very interesting. Uh, so, um, you know, M&S is a traditional retailer um, and and it was undergoing, uh, when I joined, it was undergoing a, a large kind of digital transformation. So um, really trying to get a grip of all its data, um, its products, so its website, et cetera, and, and trying to, you know, bring it up to a level where it could start to compete with um, other players in the industry, you know, the Sainsbury's, Tesco's, etc., but also, you know, the new players like um, Amazon and 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 similar company tech companies, effectively that were coming into the the, the retail space. Um, so when yeah, when you join a company like MNS, particularly where you're doing data science, which is quite new um, as a sort of concept uh, in in MNS. Um, there's a huge amount of opportunity uh, because there's a lot of sort of data and there's a lot of unoptimized processes where you could apply data science. And, and so it was a great, a great place for being able to make an, an impact. 
Um, and it, but it also on the flip side, it comes with some challenges. So, um, and this is probably some of these are cultural, right? So taking a, a company that's done something, you know, one way for a long time and trying to change their mindset a little bit, um, uh, you know, instead of making, let's say, gut decisions or decisions based on very few data points, you start to say, okay, let's use all this data and, and base our decisions on that, whether it be through data science or just analytics. Um, uh, it's a, it's a changing sort of, yeah, a change in philosophy, really. Um, so you, there, there are always challenges around that, I think, particularly at larger companies. Um, but yeah, it was, it was very interesting. And what tools did you use um, in terms of data science at MS? So again, we predominantly um, coded in Python. Uh, so that was, um, and that, is more or less now the lingua franca for data science. Um, uh, you get R, some people use R, particularly people come from statistical background, but if you're gonna run production models, um, generally Python is, um, uh, is the go-to. Um, and uh, on top of that, we so uh, MS is a tier one partner of Microsoft. So we had the full kind of Microsoft Azure uh, cloud infrastructure stack. So we had a, a data warehouse in Azure, um, we would use Databricks, which is another tool where you can uh, effectively use Spark, which is a, um, a kind of a tool for uh, doing distributed computing when you have very large data sets. Um, uh, and da Databricks has a nice interface for, for using Spark with Python, uh, using a language called PySpark. So um, we would use that extensively as well. And so were you working on ProGrad whilst also um, being at MNS? is that right? Yeah, that's right. So um, ProGrad, um, we were effectively bootstrapping. So I was, uh, yeah, evening, spare time. It was during COVID actually. So um, there wasn't much to do. <laughs> so, um, it might've been more difficult outside of COVID, but yeah, so we were, um, uh, building those ideas and, and doing the initial work um, uh, sort of in our spare time. Mm -hmm. And then you decided to, to take the leap, I guess, into, into pro-grad full-time, is that right? Yeah, exactly. So a couple of years uh, into my journey at MS, we we had kind of progressed pro-grad faster than I had expected, in fact, um, particularly once we got into Techstars um, and got that pre-seed funding. The, the sort of momentum um, uh, started to, to increase uh, quite a lot. Um, and it, it seemed like the right time to, to make that jump. It's always a bit of a risk, of course, <laughs> jumping into a startup. Um, but yeah, ex exciting nonetheless. And, and to be honest, the progress hasn't really let up. <laughs> it just kind of snowballs. So, you know, you get more and more stuff and you realize there's more and more opportunities as you discover the space that you're working in um uh, and so yeah we've we've um probably at the beginning of this year i jumped in full time um uh and yeah really loving it and how was that transition going from a huge company like mns to to building your own startup it's yeah, it's very different. So um at MS, um we have large teams, there's lots of stakeholders. Um and I was running a, a, a team of about 11 data scientists. So a lot of my my role there was um 
sort of non-managerial rather than technical. So, um, uh, you know, uh, talking to stakeholders, doing sort of um, directing projects, etc. When I w jumped over to Prograd, it became again because there's very few people, it became very technical again, um, which is actually I, you know, what I enjoy doing. So, um, it's a big shift, and uh, I think. Uh, particularly if you, you you're coming from a background with more experience um or you've been in industry for a while you have to be willing to sort of muck in everywhere if you like you're not going to be highly specialized in an early stage startup um but it's that, that's something i enjoy about it actually so um uh, i had worked in in smaller companies before so i so i knew what i was getting getting myself into i think and what are your thoughts on uh, working in a big company, getting some experience, and then building a startup versus going straight ahead and building a startup? I think you can do it both ways. And there's probably pros and cons to to each way. Um, I know people that have come straight out of, um, you know, straight out of university or studies and, and gone straight into startup life. There, there is, I think there's, something to be said for getting some experience behind you um before making that jump even if it's you know a couple of years um because it will just allow you to kind of build a mental model of how you know corporate world or how the, the business world works <laughs> uh and you might want to break it <laughs> you know you might want to break it later but you'll know how it is currently done uh, the other thing you can do of course is you build up um some baseline skills uh, because you don't have to worry about everything you know you're probably going to be specialized in something whether it be you know technical marketing etc and so it, it gives you uh something to fall back on if you like um if you go straight into it you, you'll get a very broad experience but it will be quite shallow um to start until you know your company really scales um so um but yeah i think you, you can probably do it both ways, yeah. And final question, where can people connect with you or support you? Um, so uh, generally on LinkedIn. So yeah, please please do just uh, connect with me on LinkedIn. Um, uh, happy to, to chat about anything really. Um, uh, and then also um, good, good place to find me is on the Prograd, um, uh, on www.prograd.uk. We have um, that community I, I mentioned. Uh, come and join that, and um, I'm on there. You know, helping helping young people answer <laughs> uh, questions around personal finance as well. So um, yeah, it'd be great to great to hear from some of your listeners. Awesome, and we'll put all those links in the show notes below. Thank you so much, Rishi. Thanks, Charles. Thanks a lot for that. <laughs>